It's been said that the Bible is a romance in the most holy sense. And if you have some insight and come to the Bible with this view, you can really, really see that the Bible is actually a long love story that includes you and me. From the very beginning, the Bible begins with a union, a marriage, a marriage, which we know in the heart of every marriage, two things are most important. Two things. I wonder if you know what two things I'm talking about. Most people would say one thing. One thing. But I say two things. And that is love and oneness. Love and oneness. Now, <clears throat> there's a verse in Genesis chapter 2 in this union. when You know, this is... This shows us that marriage, the marriage is an institution created by God. Because on the first page of the Bible, first two pages, you see this. And, and, and marriage is intended to be, according to the Bible, a union between a man and a woman. One man, one woman. And, and, and so... <clears throat> Uh, there's a verse in Genesis 2 at the consummation of all this that says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. One flesh. And in the book of Ephesians, we've been talking a lot about the book of Ephesians, this conference. In the book of Ephesians, this verse is repeated. And it says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. But then then it says, this mystery is great. But I speak with regard to Christ and the church. So, So Ephesians explains Genesis. Genesis is not just talking about marriage between a man and a woman the human marriage, but although that's very important. And even in the book of Hebrews, it says that we must honor marriage. We must honor marriage. Okay. (laughs) Then at the end of the Bible, in the last two chapters of the Bible, there's another marriage. That's the real marriage of Christ and the church. But there, Christ is not called Christ, and the church is not called the church. They're called what? The Spirit and the Bride. And the Bible ends. So, you know, when you look at the two ends of the Bible and you have this view with Ephesians in the middle, Ephesians is not the only one. There's so many, so many. It says in, it says in uh, Isaiah, I think, in Isaiah, your maker, yes. is your creator, is your husband. Oh, 
I have to tell you, the first time that I saw this verse, I thought, oh, I never knew that this is the concept of creation. Creation. God created us, not so that we could be, oh, oh, you're holy, Lord. Yeah, yes, he's holy. And we, 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 we come to him with reverence and honor. But do you know the root of the word worship actually means kiss? Did you know that? The root of the word worship, worship God, it means kiss. We worship the Lord. That's how we worship. We worship by coming to Him, approaching Him, loving Him. So the whole thing's a love story. The whole thing's a love Oh, if you read the prophets, in my, in my reading now, you know, I try to read the Bible, you know, a little bit every day, and maybe once a year, try to read through. And, oh, the prophets. The prophets are full of the, God saying to His people, you adulterous nation, and I'm going to send. I'm going to send the nations to 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 punish you. And and and. But I love you. And when you come to me, I will receive you back. Remember the bridal day. This is is it's, it's like it's the, the the prophets is the talk of a jealous husband. And if you have this view, I tell you, the whole Bible is a different book to you. It's a different book. So the Bible's a love story. Okay, one little aside. Okay, little aside. I'm going to come right back. Because there's a lot to talk about here. Okay, but I, I want to explain what I said before. Love and oneness. Love and oneness. Because in marriage, yes, love is important. Of course. And, and but do you, well, well, in Genesis 1 and 2, the first marriage. In Revelation 21 and 22, the consummate marriage, right? We, you've heard this. Most of you have heard this message before. This is, not nothing, this is nothing new. Yeah. But do you realize love is not mentioned in either of those portions? Love is not mentioned in Genesis 1 and 2. Love is not mentioned in Revelation. What is emphasized about marriage in these two portions is oneness. It's that, it's that she has to be the same as he in life and in nature. Uh, God parades the animals in front. You know that story? And no, no, it's a giraffe. No, it's an elephant. Adam, that would have been... That, have you ever imagined what that was like? I think that was most interesting. Adam looking at... No. Do you realize that God was doing that? All those animals? And, and Adam, Adam was looking for a match. He's looking for a wife. No. No. Uh-uh. And then, because then God put him to sleep. And when he woke up, what did he say? This time, it is. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means all the other times, it was not. That means all those animals, God was impressing him. Your match has to come out from you. God put him to sleep, took something out. Oh, my goodness. Brother Watchman Nee has, in the glorious church, this chapter... On, on Eve, oh, when, I remember the first time I read that. I, had, I, was, I was in my, in my living room. I was, I, I was walking like, this is vision. Oh my goodness. Because God put him to sleep. God, God put Christ to sleep on the cross. God opened his side. Oh, Jesus on the side. Right? And then 
God pulled out a rib, and then out of Jesus came blood and water. Blood to redeem. That's not in the story in Adam. But the water is the life. Then he built that rib into a woman on the cross. His life comes into us and makes us the church. I said, I was like, huh? I, I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't contain this vision. I said, we got to tell people. Does everybody, anybody else know this? That, 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 that's the church. Oneness. So who are we? To, to be his bride, we have to have his life and nature because he cannot marry someone who doesn't match him. Oh, when I saw that, I said, my goodness, has this been here the whole time? Nobody told me about this. What a revelation. Anyway, my point is this. For the young people, for the young people, one day, you grow up, you're going to fall in love. That's nice. That's good. We want you to be, really be in love. Okay. Um, but, but, the Bible does say, do not become unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not become unequally yoked. That means you have to marry someone who matches you. Because in marriage, it's not all about love. I just want to let you know that. Oneness. There has to be oneness. And it's difficult to be one if you don't have the same life of the Lord. Now, you need love, but the love is strengthened by the oneness, and the oneness is sweetened by the love. Okay, that's my aside. Back to my message. Okay. That was a little thing for the young people. Or the single ones. By young people, I mean anybody not married. Okay. We've been talking about um, faith and love. Faith and love. And... uh, um, these two together, especially in the New Testament, faith and love paired so many times. And often with a third companion is hope. Right? And the Christian life, we mentioned this, the foundation is faith, the building is love, and the top stone is hope, a hope of the Lord's coming. And, and <clears throat> the Christian life is a life of loving the Lord. And from the very beginning, I gave some testimony, I think, starting last night. I, I met the Lord when I was seven years old. My sister, my, my, my older sister, she led me to the Lord right there in our living room, my dining room, living room area. And from that night, from that night, I, I have just been enveloped in the love of the Lord. And as a little boy, I was baptized at 12. I just loved the Lord. I told you uh, I had another experience at 12 and a half. At 12 and a half. That I told the Lord this that night. This was actually in December. <laughs> December of 1970. 70. I was 12 years old. Uh, I was in a... Do I have time to say this? Maybe I have time to say this. Um... Because this, this outline that you have, outline number two, yeah, we're, we're co- covering half today and half tomorrow. So, we're not in a rush. <laughs> um, I was in a, I was be- 
this is before I met the brothers in, in the local church. I was with the Brethren Assembly. And this Brethren Assembly that I mentioned here, very evangelical, preaching the gospel a lot. And um, anyway, it, it, they, they, they put on, they, the, the youth leader had this idea to have a Christmas play. <laughs> a Christmas play. And so, uh, which was kind of strange because a lot of the brethren even do not celebrate Christmas. Right? But they used that, they wanted to use it for the gospel. Okay. So, anyway, I, I, I got this idea because in my family, in my family, everyone was saved except my father. My father actually did not get saved until he was 69 years old. But when I was 31, I brought my father to the Lord in my uh, kitchen. Yeah, he prayed with me. This was years later. But I had this thinking. Okay, when I have a play at school, you know, you have, do you guys still do that? Do they have plays, performances, dramas? Do they not? No? No? Yes? Some? Some. Okay, anyway. Not really important, but anyway. Um, we had this. And my father would come. So I thought, aha, uh-huh. if I'm in the play at church, he'll come and he'll hear the gospel. So that was my motivation for even joining. Okay. So I was there and we were rehearsing. Some of you heard this story before. We were rehearsing. And you know what you call the dress rehearsal, which is the, the final, yeah. We were putting on, I think, two performances, Friday and Saturday. And, and the story or, or the message that we were conveying in this play was the so-called true meaning of Christmas. Okay, yeah. And, and, and you know, of course, the Bible doesn't have Christmas. You, you, you know that, right? I just want to be clear that you know that I know. Okay. You know that I know. Okay. So I'm not promoting Christmas. I'm not promoting plays. I'm just giving you a little story. Okay. So take it for what it's worth. Okay. So anyway, uh, uh, so, so in this story, uh, I don't remember any part of the play except that at the end, at the very end, was the time to give the message. And this was the message. Christ was born to die for you. That, that was really what we were trying to tell the people. Why did Christ come? He came to die for you. So, in the play, these were all teenagers. Okay. In the play, there was a girl and a guy, a sister and a brother. And in the play, they were siblings. Now, they weren't really siblings, but this was a sister in the Lord, a brother in the Lord. And she was explaining to him the true meaning of Christmas. That Jesus came, was born, to die for you. Okay. So, it's the dress rehearsal. So, there's nobody in the chapel. Right? There's nobody there. But, but uh, when, when everybody finished their part, they would, instead of going to back to the stage, they'd go sit down in the pews there and watch everybody else. And this was the last, oh no, no, the, the penultimate act. So just before. And so that was the, you know, what they call the punchline. That was the burden. And then at the end, after they finish whatever, I'm on this side, hiding behind the curtain. I'm supposed to come out 
and say something, and they say something, they say something to me, and the play ends. Okay, you, you got the scenario? Okay. So I'm here behind the curtain, and they're pro- probably like where the piano is. And they're sitting at a table like this and talking. And she's explaining to him. And as she's explaining to him, God visited me behind that curtain. And the Lord spoke to me. I was born to die for you. Oh, my heart, as I was listening to that message, it's like the Lord filled me with his love. And I said, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I would go do anything for you. I would go anywhere for you. I didn't have the words consecration, you know. We had, at that time, we had the word dedicate. Lord, I dedicate my life to you. So I said these words to the Lord, fighting back tears. Then they finished, and I had to, you know, come out and do my little thing. From that night, the Lord captured my heart. And I've been driven by the love of the Lord. Little boy. Little boy. To just love the Lord. Love the Lord. Okay. That's why I said to some of you this morning, I would like to go to that Lord's table meeting. Even sit in the back. And just, oh, when the brothers broke the bread each. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I never... I never took for granted the Lord's dying for me. And brothers and sisters, especially young people, I hope, I hope you would never take the Lord's table for granted. I hope you could thank the Lord, whether you do it out loud or not. Maybe you're in the back row, quietly. Say, thank you, Lord, for dying for me. When that bread comes to you, the cup comes to you, take that seriously for a few seconds. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Now, <laughs> I knew this since I was a child. But I didn't know, I didn't realize that the whole Bible is not John 3.16. You know, John 3.16 is a wonderful verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? He, and he loved me. So I, I, I was so assured since a little boy, God loved me. Then one day, I read Ephesians 5.25. It says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh, this was a new thought. On the cross, I had been convinced for years, God was thinking only about you and you. And you, and you know, every you. And it's so personal. But then I realized, the same Bible says, actually, he was thinking about the church. His bride. And then, I stumbled onto a verse that really surprised me. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. It says that he himself is the savior of the body. Did you know that? He's not just the savior of each brother and sister, personally. He's the savior of his body. So, we mentioned in one of the previous meetings, 
we love the church loving Christ. <laughs> and when you get filled with the church loving Christ, you just love the church. And so, when we're talk about love this weekend, because we have, you know, we talked about faith and love, but we're really focusing on love. I want to bring you back to the title of our conference, which is printed at the, does your copy have it? Yeah, at the top. Could we read this together? The title at the top. Not the title of this message, but the overall title of our conference. Loving the Lord... Because when you study particular chapters in the New Testament especially, about love, I hope you realize very often the context is the building of the church. It's not just my relationship with the Lord personally, but it's about the building. You know, there are certain, there are certain chapters that... If you're going to study love, you know, many of the Lord's children, many Christians like to study this, love. Okay. But if you're really going to study this matter, there are certain chapters in the New Testament you have to pay attention to. Of course, maybe the first one is 1 Corinthians 13. And, I, and, and many of us know, we mentioned this already, very often 1 Corinthians 13 is something for weddings. Right? Something for weddings. However... If you know the, the Bible, you have to. Well, let me say it this way. Even not knowing the Bible. Just um, uh, knowing how to read context of any book. You, this is chapter 13. If you're going to understand chapter 13, don't you have to understand what's in 12? And 11? And, you get the point? And now it's 13. And then you have to see, where is it going? So what's 14? And it's very interesting. Chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, is about the body. The body of Christ. Chapter 14 is about the church meetings and exercising gifts to build the church, which is building the body. So if 12 is about the body... 14 is about the body, then the middle of the sandwich, don't you think it has to be about the body? Love is for the body. Okay, that's, that's 1 Corinthians. Um, we already talked about Ephesus, or uh, sorry, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. Here's a, here's a book that talks about God's economy and the church. So many aspects of the church, Right? The assembly, what? The, uh, the house, uh, the, the new man, uh, the masterpiece, so many things, so many things. This book, at least 19 times, says, talks about love or loved. Love, 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 love. In six chapters. So on average, every chapter, at least three times. Love, 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 love. That tells you something. That for, in God's view, for the building of the church, you need love. Love to him and love to one another. Right. Okay, that's Ephesians. Then, in the book of Revelation, 
chapters 2 and 3. There's, do you know there's a, a second book to the Ephesians? Like, we don't call it second Ephesians. Like we do first Ephesians, you know, first Thessalonians, second. We don't do that. There's a book of Ephesians. But in the book of Revelation, there's an epistle to Ephesus. What is that? What is that epistle about? Very interesting. I have one thing against you, that you left your first love. So those 19 references to love, 19 references didn't do a thing. How about that? Does that, does that remind you of anyone? We hear things, we hear things, and we still... So, in that book, to the Ephesians, the Lord says, Repent! Remember! Come back to your first love. Another section. Well, yes, 2 Timothy. We read this last night. 2 Timothy chapter... Three. Last night or this morning? I forget. We read the first five verses. In the last days, difficult times will come. And then it talks about seven types of lovers. And two types of non-lovers. And we read a note that talks about at the end time. Whether the church will have days of victory or face perilous days, all depends on our love. So, in Timothy, you know, it's very interesting, the books of Timothy are also related to Ephesus. Because that's where Paul left Timothy to try to help the situation in, of the believers. So, anyway, my point is, love has its context. And that's the body of Christ. Okay, and another chapter, now we come to this message. Another chapter that you have to study, if you're going to study the matter of love, is John 13. And this story, again, we have a lot of young people here. I don't know if you had any impression of this foot washing story. You know, some, some, believers, some believers pay a lot of attention to this and practice this literally. And sometimes, there, there are some groups that practiced literal foot washing, that is, take a basin, and they wash each other's, each other's feet before every Lord's table meeting, trying to follow this example. And we don't criticize that. That's an act, that's an act of love. It's an act of love. And even in the local churches, here and there, I'm, I'm aware of this kind of practice actually being done, where, where brothers were led to wash the feet of those in, 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 that, in that meeting. And, and I, I know that. Um, so, so it's a practice, and it's not common among us. It's not common among us. I haven't seen this for years, but, but it's in the Bible. Yes. However, however, the only thing that we don't agree with is the legality. Don't make it a legality. But if someone is led by the Spirit out of love to ha- have such an act... What's wrong with that? Okay. The point of this lesson is to touch the spiritual significance of that act. And I'd like to help us to see what is behind that. Because 
I'm, I'm afraid that among us in the, in the churches, uh, because we don't have this kind of practice that often, and some of us have never seen it, never seen it, then, then we might think too little of this. Like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's there, amen. And then you just leave it. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't have that kind of attitude toward the word of God. Now, what, what is this? What is this? Now, be, before, we, before we get into details here, um, I want to I wanna point this out. Uh, this morning, we had on the board, uh, what, the bridge of shepherding. You recall that, those of you who were here? Psalm 22, 23, 24. In Psalm 22, it shows the Lord's death and resurrection. So that's in his earthly ministry, right? In Psalm 24, it's his coming as the king of glory. And then Psalm 23, we we all know, the Lord is my shepherd. Those three Psalms give us a view that the entire age of the church, we call it the age of grace, we can call it the age of shepherding. (laughs) Because it's the age of the church, because it is the age of the church, it must be the age of shepherding. Because shepherding is how you build a church. So, keep that in mind. And also, we saw John 21. Remember the story of John 21? Fishing all night and the whole thing and the seven brothers and the Lord shepherded them. And then he says, Peter, do you love me? I love you. Shepherd, you know, feed, what is it? feed my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Feed my sheep. Okay, that. Actually, John, you could consider, John is actually a book of shepherding. And it's the key. Shepherding is the key to understand the book of John. The Lord, the Lord said in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And actually, if you look at the whole book of John from that view, you realize every encounter with every human being was a shepherding. And there's, what, nine cases? He meets an older gentleman stuck in religion but seeking and meets him at night but like come on in just welcoming he really sh- he shepherded him then there's a woman sinful woman out in the open he speaks with her she tries she she you know he touches her conscience she tries to talk religion He's so patient. He's so patient. He was shepherding her to drink of himself. There's a man, oh, 38 years. He can't, he can't get to the, to the pool in time. The Lord shepherded him. And case after case after case, the Lord just shepherded them. And then in chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd. And then again in John 21, Shepherd my sheep. Okay. As we're reading through this outline and considering John 13, just think of it. This is shepherding. The washing of the feet is shepherding. 
a very specific and necessary shepherd. Okay. Let's come to the, to the uh, outline. Let's read the first point together. Amen. Since John is a book of signs... Yeah, this, this, this verse that's listed here, John 2.11 says, The beginning of signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. That's when he changed the water to wine. That was the beginning of signs. So this means that the Lord Jesus did miracles. He did this and that. He did many things. But they all are pictures. They're pictures with spiritual significance. So this foot washing, where they actually, the Lord Jesus actually, he... He, he took off his outer garment. He was girded with a towel. He brought a, an actual basin with water. He asked the disciples to take off their sandals and wash them. Foot by foot. Disciple by disciple. You can think about that. Jesus doing that. You know, to do that, you, to wash people's feet, you have to stoop down. Can you imagine Jesus? He was their master. He was their teacher. He was their Lord. That's why Peter said, no, Lord, not, no, no, because he honored the Lord. We say, oh, Peter, you always say something wrong. But no, Peter, that's right. I, I would have thought, that's right, Peter, tell him. And then he says, oh, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Oh, then wash everything like I'll take a bath. No, Peter, you don't understand. You're already bathed. That means you're already saved. I just need to wash your feet. But this, oh, think about this. That's a picture. Every part is a picture. Okay, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Um, uh, point A. Foot, foot washing should not be taken merely, okay, merely, not that it shouldn't be taken in a physical sense, but not merely in a physical sense, but rather, and even more in, uh, intrinsically, in a deeper, more important, and spiritual sense. In John 1 through 12, the Lord as life came and brought forth the church, composed of the regenerated ones. In their spirit, the regenerated ones are in God and in the heavenlies, but in their body they are still living in the flesh and walking on the earth. This shows us the, necessary, the necessity of the Lord's fellowship in John 13. So, the saved ones, which is us, in our spirit, we're joined to the heavens. We're joined to the heavens. We're heavenly, actually. We have the divine life. But we all know we're all still on the earth. We're all still on the earth. And when we touch all the things on the earth, not, not sinful things, that's one thing. We do touch sinful things sometimes. You have to confess your sins. But we also touch many other things. And unconsciously, those things that we touch. Mm, According to the picture, dusty, a little dirty, a little dirty, a little smelly. They need to be washed. They need to be washed. So, not sinful things, just other things. Okay, we'll, we'll explain more. Let's keep going. Um, point two is actually just the verses, right? Now, uh, I'll go through this slowly. Because these verses, I want you to understand this point. Okay, let's take a step back and ask ourselves again. 
Why did Jesus do this? Well, first let's ask, when did Jesus do this? This is the background. When did Jesus do this? Do you realize this was the night before he was crucified? The night before he was crucified. Now, didn't you think he knew? Tomorrow I'll be crucified. Because the Lord knows everything. Okay. So, I want to, I want to try to impress you with the importance of the spiritual foot washing. By showing you this. Think about it. Think about it. If you knew tomorrow you will die, what would you do today? Now, without sleep. He knew what was coming. After the, you know, after the foot washing, John 14, 15, 16, 17. He talks to them. It's like his last words. They didn't know that he was they were going to go to the garden and he's going to get arrested. But he knew. Okay, so he gives them his last words and then he prays in John 17. Then they go to the garden. And then Judas comes. Oh, you betray me with a kiss. And they arrested him and he got separated from the disciples. And that was it. No more interaction with disciples. Except John. Behold your mother the next day. That was the next morning. It was the next morning. Okay, so, just think about this. If you knew you only had a few hours left with your disciples, what would you do? What would you tell them? If you knew you only had a few hours left of activity on this earth, what would you do? You're going to rearrange your socks? You're going to clean your closet? Nobody would do these trivial things. What would you do? Only the most important things. And probably with your loved ones. So Jesus, this is what he chose to do. Then it says, then it says, he loved them to the uttermost. Uttermost. Now this to me is very interesting. Because when I, I've read this verse, I've been, or I've been reading this verse since I was a child. He loved him to the uttermost. I always applied this to the Lord's sacrifice on the cross. He loved me to the uttermost. means he, he died for me. Yeah. But actually, th- this phrase, love them to the uttermost, is not in the context of crucifixion. It's in the context of foot washing. You know, the crucifixion, the crucifixion is not our end. It's our beginning. Right? What he did on the cross is not our end. It's our beginning. You know, this word uttermost means to the end, to the aim, to the goal. The cross is actually not the goal. It's the start. What's the goal? The goal is the body of Christ. So the Lord was doing something that night to, to go beyond the cross all the way to the end of the church age. This act should propel His church to the consummation of the building. That's the uttermost. Oh, I tell you, I, I didn't know that foot washing 
was related to the goal until very recently in my study. I just felt, my goodness, this is fresh light to me. You know, in uh, Matthew 24, it says, many things will happen, but the end is not yet. You know, that's the same word, uttermost. That's translated here, uttermost. That's the same word. And it says, this gospel of the nation shall be preached. Right? And then the end will come. That's the word, that's the same word, uttermost. That's the end. That's the end. So this act of spiritual foot washing should take his disciples to the end. This love covers them and carries them to the end. So what is this? Oh, one more thing. Right here it says Judas. Why does talk about Judas? It says, oh, he knowing that Judas had already put it in his heart that he would be betrayed. Do you see, the Lord knew danger is coming. In just a few hours, danger is coming. But do you realize the Lord still took the time to and then gird and then bring the water and then kneel down and wash one disciple. Foot by foot. I don't, well, I don't know if he pushed the basin over and just did like this. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But do you understand my point? Yes. And you're waiting. You're waiting. But he, he's not rushing. But he knows danger's coming. I'm going to the cross. Don't you feel this must be important to him? That, that's what I'm trying to say. I tell you, I never thought about this before much. This is so important for the building of the church. Okay, so now we need to see what is this then? And what does this mean to us? Point A. The outer garments that the Lord laid aside signify the Lord's virtues and attributes in his expression. Hence, he was putting off what he is in his expression. This is the same as Philippians 2, where he laid aside... His splendor to come. He humbled himself. Becoming in the likeness of a man. And taking the form of a slave. The Lord is our slave. Eventually he says, learn from me, the teacher. You have to do this. That means we should be like the slave to each other. Lay aside our attainments. Lay aside our pride. For the sake of the brothers and sisters. B says, the Lord's girding himself signifies his being bound and restricted with humility. With humility. You know, it takes humility to bend down, wash somebody else. You might feel, you shouldn't have gotten dirty in the first place. That you can't wash my feet then. If you have that attitude, you can't wash my feet. There's no judging here. There's no judging here. Doesn't he have the ground to judge? Of course he does. But he doesn't. Oh, what a savior. C says, okay, this is, this is important. This, this explains what is the dirt and what's the problem. 
In ancient times, the Jews wore sandals, and since their roads were uh, dusty, their feet uh, easily became dirty. If, when they came to a feast, they sat at the table and stretched out their feet, the dirt and smell would certainly frustrate the fellowship. Hence, for the feast to be pleasant, they needed foot washing. And, of course, most of us know this, but maybe some new ones and young ones don't realize. In, the, in those times, in, in, in Israel, the, the tables were not like this, and you sit at a chair. It's more, uh, was it tatami? The Japanese style? Tatami? Yeah, with a low table. And then they, people would come and sit at the table, and they're, you know, like this, and with their feet back. And, and, and that's why the recovery version, which is very accurate to the Greek, sometimes says reclining at table. That's what, that's what it means. Because if it says sitting at table, you get the impression it's like this. If you go like this, the feet are under the table. Nobody sees. If you're all reclining at table, uh, I got Terry's feet right here. And Ron's feet are right next door. And it, it, may, it depends, you know? You have good days and bad days. And so, if it's a little, you know, it's, if it's, a, you know, it's one thing to be dusty. What if it rains? A little mud, you know. So, anyway, spiritually, that's how we come to the meeting. We're walking in this world, and you can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. What is getting our feet dirty? Getting our feet dirty is this. The unavoidable contact with the world. You can't avoid it. You have to go to school. Of course, I know some are homeschooled. But eventually, you contact people, friends. Even the, even the homeschool kids have activities together. You contact people, mm, you're going to get dirty from the world. Does that mean you get sin? No, 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 no. That's not what I mean. But something causes separation between us and the Lord. Something. I, I, I enjoy watching sports. I enjoy watching sports. I enjoy playing sports. I play less now. I watch more now. But I enjoy. I have to be careful. Because even that, when sometimes it dampens my desire to pray. It dampens my desire to read the Bible. Is it sinful? No, it's not sinful. But a little separation came. Sometimes we have unsaved relatives. You have to be with them. We're there. That's our family. We love them. But sometimes when we contact unsaved relatives, uh, a little something, a little separation. We need our feet washed. But we need to, when we, sometimes... We have an accumulation all week long, and then we come on the Lord's Day morning, you feel, oh, the meeting's not so lively today. You know, it could be. Everybody forgot to bring the basin. There's no water. Everybody's got dirty feet. Did you ever go to a meeting that way? (laughs) Brothers, did you ever go to a responsible brothers meeting that way? That's why I told the brothers this afternoon, brothers, we should wash each other's feet. First thing. First thing. So maybe, maybe. Even, again, not sinful things. Unavoidable contact. You're going to leave the house. Your dear wife says, Oh, dear, aren't you taking your coat? 
So, oh no, it's okay. It's going to be nice. She goes, oh, put on a coat. She loves you. But you're bothered. You're not my mother. <laughs> you don't say that. You don't say that. By now, the brothers learn not to say that. But you're a little bothered. You're just a little bothered. By the time you get into your car, your feet are dirty. When you get to the brothers' meeting, oh my goodness. If he did that, and he, all the brothers are annoyed by their wife, by their child, by work, by the radio, doesn't work. I got a scratch on my car. Just a little thing. There's nothing sinful about getting a scratch on your car. But you realize, even getting a scratch on the car, I, you know, I'm saying this because I got a scratch on my car. And so I, I'm going to fix it on Monday. And, and, and so, so, I'm sorry, that wasn't important. But anyway, it, it, a little separation. A little separation. I need my, foot wa- my feet washed. I need my feet washed. Because I'm sitting in the meeting thinking, oh, three-year lease on my car. Three-year lease. One month to go, I get a scratch. Big scratch. Oh, I'm so, amen. Amen, Lord. Amen. And, and the meeting. And I'm, woo, woo. Don't you ever go, yeah, okay. I need my feet washed. I need to be brought back to the Spirit. I need you at that time to just release your Spirit. And bring me back. Oh, amen, Lord. Amen. Lord Jesus. Even a, a young sister. Even a, a junior high sister. Just pray something. And amen, Lord. Forgive me. I, I, I don't like being away from you. Uh, I'll just leave that to you, Lord. And I'm back. You washed my feet. She doesn't even know it. She's on the other side of the meeting. She just prayed a little prayer. And she washed me. And brought me, brought me back. That's the spiritual foot washing. You know, if we don't have that, oh my goodness. If we don't have that, the building of the church is delayed. Even we come to the meeting, but it's delayed. We need to wash one another's feet by giving the Spirit to one another. Giving Christ to one another. And also, please notice, the Lord did not rebuke them for getting their feet dirty. It's unavoidable. He doesn't rebuke you. He supplies you. He provides. He made, he made a provision. Expecting that we all will be dirtied by the world. He knew it would happen. Why would you become guilty? Don't be guilty. Just be washed. You can get the washing from the Lord directly. We'll see this in a moment. From the Word. You can get washed by just calling, Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord Jesus. Because the Spirit washes you. But sometimes we have to admit, it's not so easy. It's not so easy. I, feel, I call, but I still feel separated. I need to be with the brothers. And when I'm with the brothers, just three minutes with the brothers. I'm back. I'm back. But somebody has to bring the basin. Don't forget to bring the basin. Okay, let's keep... Uh, Let's keep reading. Uh, D, right? The Lord washed the disciples' feet to show them that he loved them to the uttermost, and he charged them to do the same to one another in love. And then we have the two, the two verses in one and two. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And you commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. E, the Lord's washing of the disciples' feet 
was the washing away of their dirtiness so that their fellowship with the Lord and with one another could be maintained. Three, in our experience, the defilement of the feet signifies separation from God. I, I mentioned this. And from one another through contact with the world. Foot washing signifies, listen, listen to this, the recovery of spiritual freshness and vitality. And the recovery of our fellowship with the Lord and with one another. Now this is a very practical point. Three things in point A. In our experience, the washing water in John 13 signifies the Holy Spirit, the Word, and life. The Lord washes our feet by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the enlightenment of the living Word, and by the operation of the inner law of life. Now, I just want to make clear again, two things can separate us from God, at least. The first one is sin. I, we talked about this this morning. If we sinned, we have to confess our sins. And the Lord washes us by the blood. However, however, there are times when we still feel separated from the Lord. Probably our feet are dirty. It's the unavoidable contact of the world. Not the sinful aspect. If it's sin, again, we take the blood. But if it's just the world, we need the washing of the water in the Word. And, and I can tell you, I can tell you that even having the habit of daily reading a chapter in the Bible, or three chapters, or four chapters, if you want to, you, you know this, right? If you want to finish the whole Bible in one year, read four chapters. And it doesn't really take that long. It's just a matter of building a habit. But if you want to start with one chapter, even not one chapter, half a chapter, even not half a chapter, five verses, even not five verses, two verses, I tell you, you'll get washed. Just come home from work, open the Bible, read two verses, a little washing. You might need a bigger basin today. But on some days, two verses does the trick. It'll be just fine. And the, there's an, a washing element in the Word of God. It refreshes us. You know, Satan's work to, to put us down, to put down the church, in Matthew 16, 18. Yes, Matthew 16, 18. The Lord says, I will build my church. He promises, I will build my church. But in the same breath, he says, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So he introduces the church. That's the first time the church, this word, appears in the Bible. But do you realize, as soon as it says church, gates of Hades. Right, right next to gates of Hades. That signifies, that's two, two things. On one hand, it's a promise. As the Lord's building the church, the gates of Hades will not prevail. Although every time the Lord attempts to build the church, the gates of Hades try. There's an uprising of the gates of Hades. Satan fights against the building of the church. I th there's probably a, a number of us here in this audience that to get here to this meeting today or to this conference this weekend was a battle. Don't raise your hand. But I, I believe so. 
You decided, oh, I'm going to go. Even that was a big victory. I'm going to the meeting. Then you intend to go to the meeting, something happens. That never happens to you? That happens to us. The gates of Hades. Trice. Okay. Here's a promise. The gates of Hades will not prevail. Okay. But it's also a warning. Because it lets you know the gates of Hades will always try to prevail. (laughs) So don't be surprised when strange things happen. In your health, in your family, in your job, in the church, in the churches. Things happen. Oh, I remember when I, 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 I confronted my first kind of, a, I don't know what to call it, skirmish, turmoil in the churches. I thought, wait a minute, what's this? Is this really the church? Because when I first came to the church life, I thought, this is heaven. Many of us felt this way when we first came to the church life. I, I, you know, I, I, I told you I met the brothers in, in, in Los Angeles. And I wrote back to my friends two weeks later. I was there for a month as a 14-year-old. And I wrote back to my Christian friends and my cousins. I found heaven! I, I, I wrote this. I found heaven! Period. It's in Los Angeles! That's what I wrote them. And then I, then I, I, I just, I, I, I added. I cannot, I just can't believe that heaven can be better than this. That was my initiation in the church life. Okay, then I came into the practical church life. I started, you know, I'm not just a new one. I started meeting in the church. Oh, my goodness. In the first first month, there was like a something, like a division. (laughs) I thought, wait a minute. I thought this was heaven. I was just an ignorant child. I didn't know Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church. Oh, gates of Hades. Now things happen. I say, oh, gates of Hades. You're kind of used to it. And then you take the promise. It's okay. Do whatever you want. You won't prevail. Yeah. But they'll still try. Okay. What are Satan's tactics? What, what, what are his tactics to put down the church? The two biggest ones. One is sin. The second is gloom. Gloom. G-L-O-O-M. Just like hopeless. Hopeless. Just inside, you just... It's, you know, we say partly cloudy. Partly cloudy. You know, partly cloudy means partly sunny, too. No, 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 it's partly cloudy. No, but it's partly sunny. No, it's really probably more cloudy. And sometimes you wake up and it's just gloomy. It's just, ugh. Don't you do it? You know, it could be sunshine outside, but in your heart it's, ugh. Did you ever wake up that way? You need your feet washed. Need your feet washed. But I'm afraid. I'm afraid. You know, uh, this morning one of our brothers in his testimony at the very end talked about the impact of the last couple of years in his life. And he felt probably many of us. I agree. I agree. I've touched the gloom in many saints, in many places. Oh, don't blame anybody. 
don't, 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 brothers, as, as we're kind of, a, you know, where the church life is moving on, please don't have the attitude. Come on, saints! What's wrong with y'all? You know, let's not do this. Let's get down and wash their feet. Don't expect things from people. Minister to people. That's love. Now, I shouldn't come to you and say, Oh, brother, I'm coming to wash your feet. I know your situation. Yeah, don't, don't do that either. That doesn't wash anyone's feet. That makes a much larger separation. Yeah. We have to learn to wash people's feet without them realizing that they're washing, we're washing their feet. Oh, we'll get to this. We'll get to this. Okay. Okay. I'm lost now. Where are we? B? B. This is not the washing away? Yeah? This is not the washing away of our sins by the blood. This is why, after John 12, there is the need for such, uh, such a sign in chapter 13. Spiritual wood fo- uh, uh, foot washing saves us from the staleness in our fellowship with the Lord. Staleness. Sometimes, I, I, I don't know about you, but in my now 50 years of church life, I've had periods here and there. It's not as exciting as before. It's just kind of stale. It's kind of like always the same. You never felt this way? Don't raise your hand. You never felt this way? Oh, dear brothers, as we're concerned for the saints, I just feel some of our saints, it's possible, still feel the church life is meaningless. Don't take it personally. We're doing our best to be faithful. And, and the dear saints, and sorry, I, I think I'll, I'm going to venture here, particularly the sisters, and particularly younger sisters with families, trying to do their best to keep things going, and trying to be still faithful to the church, because the saints are faithful. They'll still serve, but they serve stale. It's a little stale, Faithful, but stale. And really, only we know with our relationship with the Lord. It needs to be refreshed. But some feel, just some feel there's a lack. And I really don't know. And they tried to figure it out for some time and didn't. And so they pretty much given up. It's just like this. Just like this. You can only go along for so long without having something of meaning in your, in your heart. So I would say, if we're like this, this, mess, this, the next points tell us, we need to come to the Lord in His Word, or we need to go to someone that we know has water. Of course, if, if we have water, we should go to people. But if we're in this situation, sometimes we know, I need to reach out to this sister. Because I know if I, just, if I just have coffee with her, I, I'm going to be restored. At least, at least I'll get a little refreshed. Maybe at least two or three toes will be washed. I don't know if the whole foot will be washed, but
But I just I get a few toes. I, I know it. Because there's people like that. We know that. We know that. Just be with them. And, and if the, you don't have to do anything spiritual. When you're with them, I'm going to talk again about my dear brother Dick. My brother Dick. Dick Taylor. I love him so much. Every now and then, he, he just calls me. Say hello. Just say hello. Oh, my goodness. I, 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 my feet get washed. Actually, as soon as I see his name on my phone, my feet are already washed. Oh, it's Dick Taylor. Ah, I'm already, I love the Lord. I'm restored. My feet are washed. I have hope. I can go on. I'm serious. I was, in a, I was in an appointment. I was talking to someone. And I said, oh, oh, I can't answer the phone. I'm in this appointment. These saints are, you know, see, oh. you can't say, oh, excuse me, i got to talk to you. you know. And, then, and so, so I let it go, but oh, I, I, I lost concentration. Because the dear saints were, I said, oh, Brother Dick loves me. <laughs> we know people that can wash. Get with them. Get with them. Okay. Um, see, today the world is dirty, and we, the saints, are easily contaminated. For us to maintain pleasant fellowship with the Lord and with one another, we need spiritual foot washing carried out both by the Lord in his love and by one another in love. This is absolutely necessary for us to live in the fellowship of the divine life, which is revealed in John's first epistle, a continuation of the Gospel of John. Now, this next point is the practical point. The Word, the saints. Let's read together. Four. Amen. Point A says, if we remain in the Lord's presence, the Lord will come to us and wash us, not with the blood, but with the Spirit, the living Word, and the inner life. Whenever we are in need of such a washing, we can just open ourselves up to the Lord as we spend time in His presence and allow the inner life to flow within us. Spontaneously, something living will water, flow, and wash us. And we will become clean again. Our spirit will be uplifted. And our whole being will be so pleasant in the Lord's presence. B says, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In our experience, the Lord Jesus himself and the saints who have much life can afford us such a washing. It is the spiritual foot washing ministered to one another that keeps us clean from the earthly touch. While we are walking and working on the earth, we not only need the Lord's foot washing ministered directly within our spirit, but also the foot washing from the brothers and sisters. I was reading somewhere, and Brother Nee gave a message on this point, Brother Watchman Nee. And he gave this testimony, that a young sister, only saved a few months, came to talk to him. And at that moment, he felt a little something. His fellowship with the Lord was not what it should be. But this sister came to talk to him. So, of course, he said, come. And then she opened up about her problem. She was suffering persecution for her faith. And just her testimony 
He said, she washed my feet. Her faithfulness to the Lord. Just giving a little testimony. She certainly was not trying to to minister something to Brother Nee. She didn't go there for that. But she refreshed him by her love for the Lord. It could be very spontaneous. I remember even just growing up in the church life, in my teenage years. We go through things. We all go through things. I had saints, whether they were my serving saints, official kind of serving saints, or just other saints in the church. I knew if I go there, it's a safe haven. I just go and spend half an hour in that home. I love, my problems are solved. (laughs) And sometimes I would go to the brothers with problems. Well, brothers can't solve all the problems. But I tell you, every single time, every single time I've sought out a brother for fellowship, whether they gave me advice or not, when I left there, I just felt at peace. It's going to be okay. Because they washed my feet. The main thing is, no separation between the Lord and me. My fellowship with the Lord is restored. And then he can give me the light. Directly. Praise the Lord for the church life. Whenever we are about to wash others' uh, feet, we need to follow the Lord's pattern by laying aside our garments. This is to lay aside our attainments, virtues, and attributes. We must humble ourselves and empty ourselves. Uh, Many wear a garment of spirituality and look down on others. They are proud of being spiritual. To lay aside our garments means to dethrone ourselves. To be girded with a towel means that we are bound and are willing to lose our liberty. We give up our liberty for the purpose of ministering life to our dear brothers and sisters. Okay, I think that's enough for this session. We'll continue tomorrow. I hope you have some impression already of the importance of the spiritual significance of this matter of foot washing.